Good morning, everyone. Well, I had this dream of filming outside in our neighborhood, but the wind is not cooperating today. So here I am stuck inside, which is very appropriate, I guess, to the moment. But this morning we're talking about good, and I am finding myself using that word a lot lately. As a parent of a now one-year-old, this is Lake, I am finding myself wanting to reinforce all that good behavior. So saying, good job, good girl, good eating, good drinking, all the good. And I'm finding myself wondering, what does good even mean? And is good what we're really striving towards? So that's what we wanna talk about this morning. So we're gonna try and solve that right now, but while we do that, Lake's actually gonna go hang out with her dad. Say bye. Say bye. Love you, baby. Well, as I've given some more thought to this idea of what it means to be good, it occurred to me that being good or being a good girl has been a really important thing to me for as long as I can remember. And it hasn't always been a good thing. I've worked really hard in my life to try to be good at all the things and to be seen as someone who behaves good and gets good grades. And of course, it's not that I didn't get in trouble or didn't get bad grades from time to time. When I did, it just meant that I would work all the harder to prop up that good girl persona, even when it meant hiding some of those things that didn't fit into that. But there was this incident that happened when I was in middle school that nearly ruined my good girl persona. Growing up, I was really into horseback riding. It was my life. It was so important to me. Every day after school, I would go to the barn and work uh, cleaning out the stable, and I would practice my riding and help with uh, count, 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 counseling some of the campers there. And it was really important to me, of course, to be the best at all the things. And in a lot of ways, the barn to me was the church to me before the church had real meaning in my life. It was a place where I had purpose and belonging, and it was a really formative season and time for me. Well, during the summer months, we would go to horse shows throughout the state, and it was something that we looked forward to all year. And so there were a dozen other girls that we would practice all year long uh, to be ready for the horse shows in the summer. And one of the highlights of the horse shows was the golf carts. Now, everyone would rent golf carts because the fairgrounds were so large, it would help get around. And so they would cause for lots of fun for us. Unfortunately, some of the rascally high schoolers would get into some trouble, and so they made a policy that you had to have a driver's license to drive the golf cart, which was a bummer, but being a good girl, I mostly adhered to that. But there was this one night, suffice to say, that I didn't. Well, we decided to play hide-and-go-seek with a golf cart, so there was one golf cart that was hiding, and the other was seeking, and I was on the hiding cart. And we each had designated adult drivers, of course, being the good girl that I was, on each of the carts. Well, a long while it had passed and we hadn't seen the other golf cart. So getting a little full of ourselves, we figured we'd stop in the infield for a quick bite. And of course, wouldn't you know it, that of as soon as we stopped and got out, we see the other golf cart come barreling towards us. So hurry up, hurry up, I yelled at everyone. So we jump in and of course we cannot find our designated adult anywhere. So. Thinking that I would save the day, I hop into the driver's seat, throw the cart in reverse, put the pedal to the metal, and bu buzz out of there as quickly as we could. So we're backing out, and the cart's full of girls, and I hear them yelling, and I think I hear them yelling, go, 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 but they're actually yelling, stop, 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 which of course I did not stop, and didn't stop in time, that we were because we were backing up, 
straight on for literally the one car in the entire field that was parked there, headed straight for it, and wouldn't you know it, we hit it full on. It was one of those like record scratching moments where everyone that was around turned to look and there I was, this squirrely little middle schooler, right there in the driver's seat. There was nowhere to hide the fact that it was me to blame in that moment. Well, it turns out the car that I backed into was this brand new white Escalade who, that the owner was this guy named Ken. And it turns out it was Ken from Ken's Steakhouse Dressing. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you have some in your fridge right now. Well, I kept hoping it was one of those, like, we can just pop it out moments kind of thing, but it was actually one of those many thousands of dollars in damages sort of thing. Thankfully, my mom came to the rescue on that one, but she paid for it for a solid seven years thereafter. It was a real tarnish to my good girl reputation. Well, the truth is I can tell you lots of stories where I didn't make very good decisions. Some of them less comical or less costly financially, but perhaps more relationally hurtful. And try as I might, I feel like I'm never as good as I would hope to be. Or perhaps more truthfully, I'm never as good as I hope other people would perceive me to be. Maybe you can relate to that, needing to be good. Or maybe you felt like you've left that good girl or boy persona a long time ago and it feels just really far from who you're trying to be. Or maybe you've been hurt so much that being good doesn't really feel like it's worth the effort. As much as I've strived to be good in my life, I actually feel like being good, if I'm honest, sounds kind of boring. I mean, good is nice and nice is nice, but who wants to be known for being good? Who's famous for being nice? Okay, I guess like Mr. Rogers and for that matter Tom Hanks are pretty famous for being nice, <laughs> but you get the point. What does it really mean to be good and is good really worth fighting for? Well, we're in this teaching series that we're calling What Now? And we're asking this question, what now that we're in the middle of this pandemic? What now that we're on the precipice of our world slowly beginning to reopen? Will we ever go back to the way things were? And God, where are you in the midst of all of this? And so we've been turning to the scriptures, to the writings of Peter in particular, to guide us in this season. And so this morning we're looking for a few minutes at 2 Peter chapter 1. So we're moving from 1 Peter, where we've been the last couple weeks, to 2 Peter. And Pastor Brian's actually told me that he's never preached on 2 Peter. So I guess he thought, why start now? Just kidding. He'll be jumping in later. But here's a little context to the book of 2 Peter who this name is, who the, the letter is named after Peter, who's one of Jesus' disciples. And yes, this is the same Peter who denied Jesus several times. And this letter is written about 30 years after that. So Peter has a little more wisdom and probably a little more gray hair to go with it. And the purpose of this letter is a little bit of a farewell. You can read a little bit later in the chapter that Peter senses that his life is going to come to an end soon. And he's right. He will actually be martyred or killed for his faith shortly after he's writing this. And so he's writing with the intent to memorialize his teachings so that they can be passed down to later generations. So whenever you get a clue into that, you know what he's going to say is really important. And so Peter starts the letter by reminding the churches that he's writing to that Jesus has invited people to become participants in his own divine nature. 
Meaning to follow Jesus means that you can share the very qualities of Jesus. So here's what he says in the beginning of the letter, starting in verse one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So Peter introduced himself and then after introducing himself, he says a very important line that will set the tone really for the rest of the letter. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need. Okay, spoiler alert on the big idea of Peter's letter. It's basically describing what God wants for his people, which is very different than what God wants from his people. And as we go on, we'll see more of what God wants for us. But first and foremost, Peter wants to, us to know that we've been given something, a starter kit of sorts for the kind of person that God envisions us to be. And the first tool in the starter kit is God's power. So this is not about trying to garner up sheer willpower. It's power that's from God and it's power that comes to us through the knowledge of Jesus. And this knowledge is more than just facts, although it does connote having accurate information. It indicates more of a relational kind of knowing. The experience of Jesus brings about the power of God in our life. He goes on in verse four. He says, through these things, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, so here's the second tool in our starter kit, God's promises. And these promises are both for now and in the future. In the future, the promise is that we get to participate in the life to come in the new heavens and the new earth and that death does not have the final word. The promise for now is that those things that will characterize that kind of life can be experienced now through God's people. So we get to share and participate in the good things of God now. But he says those things can be in conflict with the power of evil that can take root in us and in our world. So here's what he says next in, in verse five. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. So we have a list of character traits that describe the kind of people that we are to be. Now, before you go dissecting the list, trying to figure out how they all build on one another, it's actually not about working on one at a time in the order they're presented. These traits are meant to be developed together. And Peter says that we are to add to our faith these characteristics, which is different from prove your faith through these characteristics. So this isn't about earning anything. It's about putting faith into action. It's about using the tools in the starter kit that we have, the tools of the power of God and God's promise to build the kind of inner and outer life that God desires for us. But I wanna draw your attention specifically to the first character trait listed here. You probably knew I was going here. Goodness, what we're talking about. 
So the original Greek word that's used here is translated a little bit differently depending on which translation of the Bible that you're using. It can be translated virtue or moral excellence. In its earliest appearance in Greek, the notion of excellence was ultimately bound up with the notion of a thing fulfilling its purpose or function. So it implies when something has lives into its full potential. Let me give you an example. The word good first appears in the scriptures in Genesis 1, in the story of creation. It's used to describe what God sees after completing the various acts of creation. So we are told that God separated light from darkness, and it was good. He separated land from the waters and called it good. He, separ- he created the sea creatures and every living creature and created them to multiply and be fruitful. And God said that was good. What is good about that exactly? Actually, the word good isn't the original language word here. The original word is the Hebrew word tov. And so when a thing is good or tov, it's not just referring to the goodness of the object itself. It's referring to the ties between things. Here's how one author puts it. She says, in the Hebrew conception of the word, of the world, all of creation is connected. The well-being of the whole depends on the well-being of each individual part. So the Hebrews understood goodness to be located between things. As a result, the original hearers would have understood tov to refer to the goodness of the ties and relationships between things in creation. And so then God creates humans in his likeness and image, and he stands back and he sees the whole picture And he says, this is very tov. This is very good. And what he's referring to is the interconnectedness of relationship. Individually, each each aspect of creation is good, but together, interconnected, multiplying life, coming from life in harmony with one another, that is very good. And so the creation story is meant to give us a picture of God's intent for our world. It gives us a starting place for what is good. And good is about the relationship between things. Flash forward through the rest of the Old Testament and through human history, and we know that not everything is good, that the harmony between things is broken. I think this is why when we see families and friends reconnecting during this time, and we see and hear of skies clearing up from the ways that we've been forced to cut back on some of the pollutants, we recognize that as good. Amidst the very bad news of this pandemic, there is some good. And we identify these things as good because it's restoration in the relationship between things that is good. But I think even with the good news we hear, we know that things are still not as they should be. We know that there are people that are selfishly disregarding the cautions that are needed for this moment and that are reacting violently when they're asked to comply. We were confronted in an undeniable way through the tragic story of Ahmaud Arbery that racism still plagues our country. We know around the world that the greatest risk of death is not actually from this disease, but it's hunger. We have not related well globally in the way that we've shared and allocated resources. We have not gone out of our way to ensure the equal treatment and dignity of all people. We have work to do. We have changes to make. We have more good to live into. Because we've had this sickness that's infiltrated our hearts and our world, within us, in our relationships, and throughout our world. 
enter Jesus, who comes bringing good news in those places, good news to those who need it most, liberty for captives, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. This is the gospel, feeling oppressed, blind, held captive, poor, empty, in need. The gospel is good news. But I think if we're honest, we don't tend to associate Jesus or at least his followers with good news. Christians really don't have a great track record of seeing gospel in action, of being good news. We've been silent when we've needed to speak. We've been complacent when we've needed to act. We have not been widely known as being champions of restoring dignity to all and to healing on our planet. We haven't been very good news all the time. And if you think of what good news is, good news is celebration worthy. When we think of good news, we think of a baby being born, a graduation, a new job, an acceptance letter, a clean bill of health. These are moments that cause us to jump for joy, to celebrate and to share the news with others. Actually, if you read through the gospels, there were people who had encounters with Jesus who had exactly this kind of response, this jump for joy kind of response to the good news that they discovered in the person of Jesus. So here's my question for us. Is Peter's charge to us here to add to our faith goodness, an invitation for us to be the good news of Jesus to the world around us in this particular season? And if we're invited to participate in God's goodness, then this means that we have the ability to embody God's nature, to embody Jesus, to be good news to the people around us. May 18th has kind of been set as a date in Massachusetts that things will begin slowly reopening. Now things are shifting daily and we're not exactly sure what this phasing or process will look like. But whatever it looks like, as we imagine life outside of lockdown, I think we have an invitation to engage our world and life with a new purpose or a refreshed sense of purpose. And that is to be bringers of good news. More than just random acts of kindness, though those are great, more than just pursuing goodness because of the recognition that that may give us, although God can use that too, to pursue this kind of goodness that Peter and the rest of the scriptures is pointing to. Goodness isn't just what we do in our spare time. Being bringers of goodness, of good news, is the calling of those who follow Jesus. Activist and writer Lisa Sharon Harper boils the good news of the gospel down to this. The restoration of shalom. The word shalom, most often translated peace, actually shows up about 550 times in the Bible. We could really do an entire series on the significance of shalom and its meaning, but for now, here's what the meaning of shalom means and implies. Wholeness, well-being, the perfection of God's creation. The very good of creation is the shalom that defines the relationships that God created between humanity and God, between humanity and self, between genders, between humanity and the rest of creation, within families, between ethnic groups or races, between nations. 
In a word, shalom means the peace of self is dependent upon the peace of others. This is what it means to pursue goodness. This is what it means to be bringers of good news. A friend of mine recently reminded me of the ways that different traditions use physical objects to remind them of important truths. In Jewish tradition, for example, tassels on garments serve as a reminder of the commands of God that they are seeking to keep. I wonder, is there a physical reminder that will serve you in this season to help you remember your call to be good news right now, to be bringers of shalom in our life, in our world, in our communities? Maybe it's the mask that you wear every time you step outside of your house. Or maybe there's some other symbol that you put on daily when you're inside your house, like a watch or a bracelet that will serve as a reminder of your purpose to be good news in this world. And as we go begin going back, whatever that looks like and however long it takes, instead of seeking out whatever convenience or way of life that we're trying to recapture, perhaps instead you take the posture of Peter and of Jesus for that matter, and see your life's purpose as joining God in bringing good news to the world around us. Sometimes I think we don't always know what good news looks like in action. I wanna borrow these two points from Lisa Sharon Harper, who gives us some guidance as we seek to be good news right now. So here's some ways that we can know what good news looks like. Here's what she says, first, if one's gospel falls mute when people facing who need, it, who need good news the most, the impoverished, the oppressed, and the broken, then it's no gospel at all. And second, shalom is what the kingdom of God smells like. It's what the kingdom looks like and what Jesus requires of the kingdom's citizens. It's when everyone has enough. It's when families are healed. It's when shame is renounced and inner freedom is laid hold of. It's when human dignity bestowed by the image of God in all humanity is cultivated, protected, and served in families, faith communities, and schools, and through public policy. Shalom is when the capacity to lead is recognized in every human being and when nations join together to protect the environment. She also adds that shalom is present where people are bound not only to God, but to one another in caring, sharing, rejoicing kind of community. Friends, this is a picture of true goodness. This is a picture of gospel goodness. So let's allow God to work in us, in our relationships, in our communities, in such a way that the good news of Jesus truly becomes the good news that it is. You know, I think here's the challenge to this kind of goodness, is that I think it requires us to step out outside of what we know, of what's comfortable, and it may not benefit or profit us as we seek goodness. Seeking goodness requires risk, and seeking goodness requires change, and change isn't always easy and change doesn't always feel safe. Maybe you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's a scene where four children who have found their way to Narnia through the wardrobe in their house come upon Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And the, Narnia is under the spell of the White Witch, but the beavers assure them that Aslan, the king of Narnia, is on the move. Fearful but excited, they ask what Aslan is like. 
Here's what they say. Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. This is Jesus. To follow him isn't always safe, but to follow him leads to the path of goodness, of shalom, of tov. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, I wonder, how is God challenging you to be the good news of Jesus to those around you, most immediately and maybe more extended out into the world? And if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I wonder where might you need the good news of the gospel in your life? The news that God is seeking to restore and heal you and your relationships. Maybe you want to allow Jesus to begin doing that work in you and making you whole. So let's lean on God's power and hold on and work towards God promise, God's promise of wholeness in our lives and for the world. Well, thanks, Leah, for expanding our vision of what it means to be good. It's not just being nice, and it certainly isn't always safe. It's about being and bringing the good news of Jesus to the world around us. You know, all of this brings to my mind one of my favorite verses in the writings of Peter and what I think is the theme verse of both First and Second Peter. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago back in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, when Peter talks about pagans here, he's simply talking about people who, who are living without God in their lives, people who haven't yet discovered life with God and, and all of its goodness. And so he's challenging those of us who know God, who, who follow Jesus, to show that goodness by the quality of our lives. Live such good lives, he says. Now Leah helped us appreciate some of the richness of these biblical words for good and goodness. And, and we find another one of those words here. It, it's the Greek word kalos. And that word can be translated good, but it also carries with it the idea of beauty. So when something is kalos, it's not only good and right, it's not only beneficial and ethical, it's beautiful. Jesus uses this word kalos to, to describe the woman who anointed him with that expensive perfume just before he began his journey to the cross. She has done a beautiful thing, he said. So Peter's not just inviting us to live good lives. He's inviting us to live beautiful lives. Lives that are marked by kindness and compassion, by justice and integrity. He, he's inviting us to live connected lives, as Leah has described it. In tune with people and the world and the earth and God who is around us. 
and living this life isn't, isn't about trying harder to be nice and do good and keep the rules. It's simply about allowing the goodness and beauty of Jesus to flow through us into the world around us. And when we do that, when we live and love like Jesus, it takes goodness to a whole new level. So being a good neighbor isn't just about waving hello and lending out your ladder once in a while. It's about really connecting with the people in your neighborhood or your apartment building and connecting them with one another as well. Being a good citizen isn't just about obeying the law and paying your taxes. It's about contributing to the common good through your daily work and by your commitment to liberty and justice for all. Being a good parent isn't just about putting food on the table and getting your kids an education and taking them to Disney every few years. It's about creating an atmosphere of love and safety in your home, as so many of you are doing right now. And being a good Christian isn't just about reading your Bible and going to church. It's about sharing and showing the love of Jesus so freely that when people see us, they think of him. So according to Peter, being good isn't just nice, and, and it's certainly not safe. It's bold, it's beautiful, it's daring, and it can change the world, or at least your corner of it. So what kind of people do we want to be whenever we begin heading back into the everyday places and activities of our lives? Let's not allow goodness to be just a trend that falls away when we go back to life the way it was. Let's be people who live and love so beautifully that people can't help but see Jesus in us. Why don't we pray about that for a moment? We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, for the good work you have done and are doing in our lives and our homes, in our church, and, and even in the wider world, even in these difficult days. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we fall short of this goodness, the good things you created us to do and be in this world. Help us, Lord, to follow Jesus so closely that we freely share his life and love with the world around us. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, hey, friends, if, if, if you have never discovered this life with God that we've been talking about, or if you have any spiritual questions or needs, please reach out to us. Send me an email at brian at grace.org. We'd love to hear from you.